The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. And uh, we particularly welcome all the vets and want to remind all the vets and First responders, that we have a contest going on. We're giving away an AR-15. And uh, go to our homepage, sign up, and uh, register to win an AR-15 from America's Web Radio. Brand new, never been fired. You'll be the first to fire it. And it could be years just for signing up and entering the contest, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Not sure how long this contest is going to go on. We want want to have a full house before we unload it. So, with that being said, it's time now for, and you got to get your pen and paper ready, because we have the historian of historians, Lieutenant Colonel Philip Forsberg, retired, on and ready to go to talk about remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And we've got Philip all ready to go. Good afternoon, Phil. Hey, good afternoon, David. And uh, this is one of those days uh, it's better to be a duck than it is to be uh, just about anything else. The ducks are happy and... Uh, it's a good cold rain that's coming down. But anyway, we'll take it. That's what uh, we're having dished out to us. So we'll take it without any gripes. And we'll get going with remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And, you know, it looks like the Middle East keeps reminding us that they're there one way or the other. And... uh I don't think anything particularly out of the ordinary happened this past week, but uh, they're always reminding us Hamas, and uh, our president forgot the name of Hamas, but uh, other than that, that was about the biggest event of the week, but they're always reminding us that they're there, and they have surprises for us, and... Uh, I think one of the major surprises that they're going to have for us is uh, when they show their faces, when they come out of hiding after coming across the southern border. And uh, I think they have a plan that uh, nobody knows exactly what it is, but we'll find out soon enough, I'm afraid. So with that being said... How's your week been, Phil? Oh, I've been uh, very busy, but, uh, I'm, you know, right now, actually, I'm just kicking off a week. So um, I have a lot of uh, hopes for getting things done. And uh, so far today, I've gotten a great deal done. So, yeah, pretty good. Well, good. And um, let me ask, during the, because you spent so much time in uh, the Middle East, 
during Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Do you have, uh, even today, do you have flashbacks and memories of things that happen either on a specific day or on um, just a day, just an average day? Uh, you know, average day was, uh, well, I, on average day I would fly a mission that would be anywhere from uh, six to nine hours. And then uh, on some special days, uh, I remember uh, Christmas Day, I was out uh, visiting my soldiers that were embedded with the 24th Infantry Division and the 101st, um, and uh, it was a terrible sandstorm that day. Um, I remember... Uh, on a couple of occasions, I got to go down to uh, uh, the, the Air Force Base uh, Officers Club at uh, Daharan, the Saudi uh, Officers Club, which is nice because um, I could take a nice hot shower and uh, uh, they had, uh, you know, a, a gym and uh, just uh, nice facilities there. I could get a, a nice meal there um but uh only got that uh, maybe three times in in the six months i was over there and then um what else i remember thanksgiving day because president george hw bush came and uh i sent two of my soldiers to go have uh thanksgiving dinner with him uh what else I remember, I remember the day that, uh, <clears throat> Norm Schwarzkopf had got everybody, uh, all the Iraqi generals in that tent and, uh, surrounded them with, uh, Apache helicopters, Abrams tanks, Bradley fighting vehicles, and, uh, basically had them sign the instruments of, uh, surrender. Uh, I remember that pretty well. Uh, I remember the day they told me I could leave. I was very, very happy. Was, <laughs> I, I bet that one really stuck in your mind. Yeah, I had this uh, canvas uh, aviator kit bag, and uh, I recall I just couldn't fit everything. I don't know where I had accumulated stuff, but uh, anyway, I remember just leaving a bunch of stuff, some blankets or something behind and saying, forget it, I guess you can have them. So, uh, yeah, my, my saying was, if you give me a, you know, tell me I'm leaving, give me an hour to pack, I give you 59 minutes to change. <laughs> so I'm ready to get out of here. Uh, but, uh. Isn't that what you your know, buddy's for, is to leave I, him or them all the stuff that you don't want to drag with you? Yeah, uh, but you know, when they got their notice to go down and get on the plane to go home, I don't think they had much regard. I don't know what happened to the stuff I left behind. Maybe if a lot, you know, somebody come by and used it, you know, hopefully somebody made some good use of it. There are a lot of folks there that were not very, uh, well off, I'll say, uh, uh, come from the third world to labor there and, you know, 
perhaps they'll, uh, you know, they made good use of the blanket or whatever. Of course, uh, I left, it was just turning April, so, uh, uh, <clears throat> I don't think they had much use for a blanket. <laughs> well, I tell you, we we always want to remind everybody to remember our veterans. And as it was pouring down rain last night, about 2 o'clock this morning, I kept thinking how, and, and I've got to do it, but how simple... To help a veteran out or help anybody out that's on the street. Just, and this may sound very simplistic, but if you think about it, it's very important. And that is carry a couple of drop cloths, the plastic drop cloths with you. And when it's pouring down rain, they can wrap up in a plastic drop cloth and stay dry. It's very important, and if it's a veteran or anybody, we don't want to discriminate, but we particularly want to take care of any veteran that's on the street. And uh, a way to do it is hand out drop cloths. And as simple as that sounds, do it. One of the days that I remember there, David, I remember the day that um, we had kind of, I mean, this this seemed like antique technology to folks today, but we had one of these uh, video cameras that would take a whole VHS tape in it, and we were, we were able to make uh, tapes uh, and send them home to our uh, loved ones, and I, I have my uh, tape that I, I made. Uh, I still have it somewhere. Uh, sent it home to my wife, and I uh, watch it every once in a while, wondering who this young kid was. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I didn't remember I had a mustache back then, but when I pull up the tape, I, I guess I did. Uh, oh, what else? There were so many different things. I remember... The day I was flying, uh, the, uh, it was the 17th of, uh, January, maybe the 16th, I think, can't recall it, was, it was when the air war started, um, I was up in the air, and, uh, on a mission, and, uh, we were not supposed to be on the, uh, D-Day air tasking order. And, uh, suddenly AWACS wouldn't talk to me. They had talked to me before. At midnight that night, we went radio listening. They went radio listening silent. They wouldn't answer me on the radio. And, uh, so my instructions in my little mission book said, if you lose con- radio contact, you come straight back. So I did. That's when I found out <clears throat> that, uh, well, if I, if I had stayed up there much longer, I think, you know, one of our guys would have shot me down. Hmm. A scary thought in a friendly fire. Yeah, well, uh, miscommunication. And, uh, and that can be deadly in, uh, in a situation like that. You know, 
a friend and I were talking about this the other day, and I certainly how important it is in the military, but we've gotten so dependent on communications and whether it's anything from your computer to your telephone up and down the gambit, we rely so much on them. And just like the AWACS, you relied on it and your friends relied on it. And, uh, it was like the drone that uh, killed the three Americans. Uh, it was mistaken for one of our drones. And uh, it uh, wasn't where it was supposed to be, and uh, that's why it didn't get shot down. But, uh, you know, we, uh, we've become extremely heavily reliant on electronics and dependent on it. Yeah. Um, something like when you need them, you need them. Uh, and, you know, it's hard. It's hard to know, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what to do. You know, you got this the aircraft coming in, you're not quite certain. Um, you know, you, you think it's friendly, but you don't have confirmation. Uh, you know, do you, do you shoot it down? Um, uh, yeah. You know, uh, the Navy vessels out on the water, the, uh, the thing that they're really, uh, worried about defending against so these uh, cruise missiles these anti-ship missiles that will come in right uh, right above the water line and uh, and strike the uh, strike the ship and uh, you know they, they come in at an angle uh, you know that's depressed and that's difficult for the guns but the uh, and then of course when they're coming they're coming you know near supersonic so, uh, so <clears throat> the Navy invented, uh, developed a, uh, a system for, uh, shooting these things down with a, uh, I think it's a 20 millimeter Gatling gun. And, uh, it, uh, it, uh so it was, as soon as it's detected, it, it makes the decision to shoot this thing down. And, uh, we had something similar to that we were using around our operating bases in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and we called it CRAM, which is counter rocket artillery and mortar. And, uh, this thing it was just a, an active, uh, radar that spotted incoming, uh, threats like that. And, uh, would autonomously you know, select to, to shoot these things down. Uh, and, uh, we had one, I recall, uh, in Iraq, there was one operating base that had the CRAM and there were six mortar rounds fired, uh, in rapid succession to, uh, to land in the FOB. And, 
this uh, system was able to shoot down five of the six uh, automatically. And, you know, if you're familiar with, with a mortar round, mortars uh, fire at a very high angle. And the idea behind the mortar is you, you can drop six rounds in a mortar and uh, the last of the six will leave the tube before the first round impact hmm. uh, because it goes way up and then way down. Um, so, uh, you know, six out of six would have been better, but uh, the report I got was five out of six were, were taken out by the by a CRAM, which I think is uh, just fantastic. You ever thought the amount that we spend on devising ways and means of killing, if all of that effort and money were to go towards saving lives as opposed to taking lives, I wonder where we'd be today. Yeah, well, but you know that the things that we've learned uh, through military lessons learned and the th- technologies we've developed have been used in a lot of ways for life saving. I won't yeah, argue well. with you, but, uh, you know, uh, and, and I know, and some of the greatest technology has come out of it, but it's still, um, I don't know what the ratio is, but I would guess that uh, there are more lives taken than saved. But we do need the technology, and we've learned a lot from the technology of war. But it's still a scary thought to think if we could save that many more lives. But mankind is not built that way. Mankind is sure. built to fight. And well, we see that every day. You know, Alfred Nobel that designed uh, or invented um, dynamite, his intention was to make, you know, a weapon that was so terrible that people wouldn't use it. And, of course, um, now most every bomb that we drop you know, packed with this uh, derivative explosive from that. It said that uh, Alfred Nobel one day read his own obituary in a newspaper that had been erroneously published, and uh, it, it basically uh, made him out to be, you know, a great monster having designed this... Uh, uh, this uh, dynamite that was destruct had such destructive effect, and that's why he uh, he put his efforts toward that Nobel Peace Prize, advancing the uh, concept of peace. And uh, it's a good effort, but uh, well, you know, I mean, take for instance uh, Ronald Reagan, basically brought about the destruction of the Soviet Union and their threat to mankind. And uh, he never received a Nobel Peace Prize, but uh, <clears throat> Barack Obama received a Nobel Peace Prize for simply being elected. 
Amazing. Yeah, well, I would not expect, you know, you think about the Abraham Accords and the things that, uh, that, uh, Donald Trump was instrumental in, in getting done. There was never, never a mention of a Nobel Peace Prize for him. No, because he's a warmonger. <clears throat> and no. was gonna start World War Three. But, you know, it's, uh, there are a lot of things in this world and life that are unfair. And, uh, all you can blame it on is that we're humans. And, uh, humans make mistakes. Yeah. Um, well. We'll, we'll see. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the Prince of Peace to come and settle everything. Then we'll have real peace. That's true. Very true. So, what do you see coming down the road for the Middle East? Is it going to improve or is it going to just always stay a smoldering fire? Well, um, I know that appeasement of uh, state-sponsored terrorism is never going to end uh, with anything good. I know that, uh, you know, Jimmy Carter uh, precipitated the uh, fall of our embassy in Iran, the Islamic uh, revolution there, and uh, they've been trouble ever since. I recall that uh, under his watch, the Soviet Union uh, was able to make inroads in uh, Nicaragua. And uh, when they became a communist nation, Jimmy Carter made sure that the United States gave more money to Nicaragua than any other country did, including the Soviet Union. Left a mess. Uh, in the Middle East and also left a, uh, a festering, uh, communist insurgency in Central America and the Caribbean. And, uh, I had to deal with some of that <clears throat> back in the 80s. Uh, but luckily we were able to run the commies out of, uh, uh, Nicaragua and El Salvador by the time I left. And I was very pleased to see the the fall of the Berlin Wall uh, before I left Central America. And uh, I had some pretty high hopes. You know, Iraq uh, had been at war with Iran uh, for a good part of the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, uh, in 1987, uh I was the S-4, or logistician, for the Army's very first uh, Apache helicopter battalion. Uh, and uh, I was uh, actually out-processing from uh, <clears throat> my installation uh, for a permanent change of station to go to the intelligence school in Arizona. And... Uh, uh, 
walked into a staff meeting one day and uh, the doors were all uh, guarded. Uh, a squadron commander had posted a guard on each door and uh, sat down to learn that uh, we were probably going to be going to uh, the Persian Gulf uh, because uh, uh, Iran was using these uh, speedboats to, to threaten shipping in the Persian Gulf Straits of Hormuz. And, uh, uh, we had been, I guess, the, the Army had been using the, uh, the Night Stalkers, the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment, uh, to conduct this operation, but uh, for some reason, they thought they wanted to use Apaches out there. And so my uh, squadron commander told me <clears throat> that we uh, we had to, uh, or, or when I told him that I had started, begun clearing the installation, uh, he told me not to clear anything else uh, until he got word from me. I already had a date for my household goods to be picked up and... Uh, Suddenly, I, real, I learned that there was a high probability I was going to the Persian Gulf to engage in this operation. And I think we were going to be based out of either Kuwait or Iraq, believe it or not. Hmm. Uh, Iraq was not seen as an enemy. But uh, three years later, um, I was back in Saudi Arabia, and now Iraq was our enemy. That area does uh, turn over frequently, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, your enemy today is your friend tomorrow, and vice versa. Well, I think I think that uh, at least Kuwait is going to be our friend for the rest of my lifetime. There are enough people that remember. Well, we saved that little country from uh, total annihilation. Um, and <laughs> I guess in some ways we even saved their oil production by putting out the fires. Well, you know, <clears throat> funny thing, at the time, the, the wells were on fire and, uh, you know, people didn't know what to do about it. There were only... Um, two two companies in the world that uh, knew how to put out oil well fires or that specialized in it. Red Adair. Red Adair was one and the other was called Boots and Coots which I think was kind of spun off from Red Adair or vice versa. And uh, they came to Kuwait uh, and the emir said, how much will it cost to put out these fires? And the quote that I heard was, a million dollars a minute. And uh, the emir said, I'm not going to pay. So these guys backed up their stuff, got on the plane, went back to Houston. And um, then they got called uh, back. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, the Amir thought it over. Yes, he will pay that. Well, 
And the interesting thing, both companies are from Texas. Yes, they are. And uh, Red Adair has not been called on that many times, but when he was ever called on in Texas, he did the job. And uh, I think he'll go down in history as you don't want to need him, but when you do, he's the best. Well, yeah. I mean, he's a guy that has uh, the expertise and technology to settle a problem real quick. And it's my understanding that the way they do it is, believe it or not, with dynamite. And yeah, they, uh, exactly. They basically, they blow the fire out with dynamite. And uh, the trick of it is, and, and I'm no expert on it, but again, my understanding of it is, it's, they go in with, you know, they're, they're being smothered by fire hoses and water. And the trick of it is, is knowing where to put that dynamite. And that's what yeah. separates him from everybody else. He knows where to put the dynamite. Yeah. Well. And it's, it's actually, do you know what, what they're going for? It's one hell of a backdraft. Yeah, you blow the flame away, and then you don't have a an ongoing uh, combustion, right? You know, well, it it sucks the air out of the flame, and you don't have you don't have anything uh, keeping the flame going. And right. um, on a on a much larger scale, it's like blowing out a candle. Exactly. Exactly, and. Uh, the worst thing that can happen to to a firefighter like that, a well firefighter, is that somehow or the other, after they've blown it out, reignition and. Um, it doesn't happen often, but it has happened. And uh, that that is one of their largest fears because they're right up close and personal with it. And uh, it, uh, I've only seen movies. I haven't ever witnessed it, but uh, the movies are incredible. Or the, well, now video, but... Uh, Back when I was growing up, the movies of uh, Red Adair and his uh, men were just, they were heroes, and Kuwait should respect them as heroes. And I well, would assume... Well, eventually they did. Pardon me. Yeah, eventually Kuwait did respect them, and paid him. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, we skipped one, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back on Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm right after this. 
If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Attention veterans, America's Web Radio has a contest just for you. We are giving away an AR-15-style weapon to a lucky veteran. If you are a veteran or active duty, you can enter for a chance to win by submitting an entry form at americaswebradio.com slash giveaway. That's americaswebradio.com slash giveaway. Please read the official rules for more information. Good luck, and thank you for listening. Are you a veteran of Desert Shield or Desert Storm? We do a show for you every Monday at 1 p.m. on veteran-owned americaswebradio.com. And we do a number of other shows just for veterans. And, uh, you know, we, we have a great deal of respect for our veterans. And we have, you know, it's like everything else. Those that have never served should find a veteran and adopt he or she and find out more and more about what it means to have served and um, the camaraderie, the fellowship, the the feeling of being with other veterans is just incredible. And we welcome any and all veterans, and we hope that you'll sign up to win the AR-15 and that you like our programming. Uh, we do other shows on PTSD. We do, uh, we just, we love our veterans and we hope we show it. So, back to our number one veteran, <laughs> Philip Farsberg. Well, I don't know if I call myself the number one veteran, but, uh, I, uh, I do appreciate this, this, uh, program, the, uh, the opportunity you give me to, uh, talk about my service and, uh, and what we all did over there, me and half a million others that, uh, went over, and, uh, did this. It was, uh, <clears throat> you know, it wasn't something we asked to do, uh, but, it was, uh, it, it was really unique because, you know, uh, growing up, uh, I grew up when, uh, the Vietnam War was going on and, you know, there were a lot of very strong feelings and they continue to this day. But, uh, you know, the, uh, there were, there were people that felt patriotism and there were people that felt, uh, threatened by, uh, the draft and, uh, you know, it was just, it was just very, very different back then from, from what we experienced at Desert Storm. And I think there was a lot of, uh, shame on the part of Americans, uh, for the way that uh, the Vietnam veterans were treated. They were not 
And as a war in Vietnam was not their idea. They went uh, when their country called and served honorably, most of them, or the vast majority of them, uh, as, a, as a force. Our, our armed forces in Vietnam secured every military object, objective they were assigned. Um, and things were badly conceived from the beginning. And, uh, and it was, there was no real easy way out of that uh, situation. Um, the people we went to, uh, support and protect, uh, a lot of them turned out to be very corrupt. And, uh, so at the end, uh, these fellows came back and gals came back from, from serving in Vietnam and were treated shabbily. Uh, and for large part, uh, by people who were afraid of having to go themselves, uh, I don't think they wanted to be the, uh, instruments of, uh, the communists, but they certainly were, in effect, uh, promoting the communist takeover, which, as predicted, occurred uh, in April 1975. And so, you know, you know we were a diff- very, very different force going into uh, 1990. We had uh, probably less than a tenth of a percent of the folks on active duty at that time uh, had begun their service with uh, being drafted uh, into the Vietnam War. Uh, and, uh, oh, I would say maybe 2% of the folks that were on active duty had actually served in, in Vietnam. And, um, <clears throat> we did have a couple, uh, three or four pilots that I recall in our unit that, that had served in Vietnam. Uh, but, uh, we were all there because, in, you know, in uniform because we had agreed to be there and uh, it was our choice. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people like me uh, felt that uh, the Soviet Union was a big threat to our way of life. And so uh, when we went, uh, you know, I was... You know, when Saddam invaded Kuwait, I was sort of dubious as to, you know, what does this have to do with us? And, uh, but got the orders and went and, uh, the groundswell of support from the American people was really quite dramatic. Um, and, uh, I, you know, just tell you on the way from, uh, Killeen, Texas down to the, Port of Beaumont, uh, or Beaumont, Galveston, I guess, Port of Galveston, where we, uh, we loaded our stuff on ships. And, you know, as we convoyed down there, people were, you know, lining the roads, cheering, waving, um, and it was, um, it was quite inspiring. And then, of course, when we got, uh, we got in country, we started receiving uh, letters, uh, uh, 
gifts from people in the state who were anxious to show their support for us. And, uh, and then, of course, we were, you know, we had been thoroughly modernized from the, uh, the forces that had fought in Vietnam. And, uh, a lot of our technology was cutting edge for, you know, 33 years ago, but <clears throat> the, uh, when we went, we, uh, you know, the planners have done a fantastic job. We had a clear objective and, uh, you know, we, uh, we were able to take out, uh, all these objectives. And of course, as I've said before, it's probably because President Bush told us that as soon as we were done with the mission, we could go home. So all we wanted to do was get the mission done. Uh, and so we did it with great uh, zeal. And uh, then when it was done, they were true to their word, sent us home. So pretty happy about that. Uh, then we got home, and there were parades for us. And, you know, bands and you know, uh, pretty girls giving us kisses. It was just, uh, you know, it was kind of like, uh, you know, I thought, I, I thought last night was one of the biggest and crudest slaps in the face of all veterans that have fought for one nation under God, one country. And to do what the Super Bowl and the committee did last night, I thought was uncalled for and should be apologized to particularly all veterans. Um, I found no excuse for it and we've, I've gone through it almost all of my life of trying to bring unity in the United States, not separation. And I know I wouldn't raise my hand for that other nation, wherever it might be. I raise my hand for the United States of America and would would die for my country. Yeah, the, uh, the communists have always done that, uh, you know, they want to divide people along whatever lines they can and turn everything to, into an oppressed versus oppressor, um, struggle. Um, you can, you can tell when you've got, uh, the Marxist underpinnings in there, they'll, uh, they'll be talking about things like intersectionality which is where they try to gather as many grievance groups as they can into one bundle um, to oppose their oppressor group that they're wanting to uh, thwart. And uh, it's just, you know, uh, Americans need to uh, recognize this and not, not play into that. And, and now we have a man who's been adjudged by his uh, Department of Justice to be 
incompetent to stand trial for his crimes, mentally incompetent to stand trial for his crimes, as now uh, is okay to be president of the United States. It's kind of an interesting dilemma. Yes, sir. And our country is needs to take a real close look at itself and decide whether we're going to be the United States of America or a bunch of split-off radical idiots that it's not that some of them haven't served, but to say there's another country here? No, there's not. It's one nation. And if they don't like it, I'll help them leave. They can take their other nation to another nation and sing all the songs they want to sing. But yeah. I could never support them. I don't know. Uh, I sure don't want to uh, imagine that uh, everybody who's a part of these various groups that they want to uh, set up against each other. I, I, I have a feeling that even among them, uh, those groups, there's just a minority that feels um, aggrieved in this way. I like to hope so anyway. Yeah, I, I hope so too. And there is only one national anthem, and that's representative of everybody in the United States. Not a single group, nor is a single anthem representative of everybody else in the United States. Certainly not this kid, I can assure you. But with that being said, you know, it's, uh, that's the nice part about the United States. Uh, we have the greatest of warriors that have gone before many of us, raised their hand and gone into battle to protect our rights and our liberties and our United States. And we should all be extremely proud of our veterans. And like I said at the beginning of the show, when we have a night like we had last night and a morning like today, think about it the next time you're in a big box or in a hardware store. Pick up a couple of, they're, they're very inexpensive. Pick up a couple of plastic drop cloths. And if you're driving through Roswell or Johns Creek or wherever you're driving and you see a tent, stop long enough to just, here, give this to a friend and pull out that drop cloth soap. And you'd be surprised even in the, in the mid part of winter how a drop cloth can keep you warm even on a extremely cold night. And even more importantly, keep you dry on an extremely wet night like last night and today has been. Think of others. Yeah. Think of your fellow Americans. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were always, uh, you know, when we came back from uh, Desert Storm, we were very uh, appreciative of the Americans that showed us, um, you know, kindness and uh, gratitude uh, for our service. But, uh, you know, the way I like to show uh, gratitude for those who serve is, is to assist them in getting the, uh, the benefits that they've earned through their service from the VA. And, uh, you know, uh, I had a fella, you know, as you know, David, I worked, uh, with the disabled American veterans, uh, in helping veterans, you know, file their claims with the VA and obtain the health care that they're entitled to. And, uh, you know, a, a veteran turned to me and he said, how, you know, why, why is it so hard to get these benefits and why do they make it so difficult and why is there not more help and I said to him you know when you were downrange who did you re rely on for assistance the guy back at the mall who didn't uh, never uh, served a day in uniform never raised his hand never heard a shot fired in anger or the guys around I said well yeah of course the guys around I said well that, that's what we do Disabled American veterans is veterans that help veterans, and we come alongside each other, and uh, and we help. And so, if there are those listening who are suffering from conditions that are service connected, uh, I encourage you to contact your local chapter of disabled American veterans and, and ask to speak to a service officer. Phil, if you want to, if you want to start my pot to boiling, talk about the fact that they've taken veterans' benefits away from veterans and are giving them to those slob bastards that are crossing illegally in our southern border, and to give them anything. And particularly if you're taking it from the Veterans Administration, to give to illegal crooks. They're, they're, they are crooks. They're, they're stealing from us. They're breaking into our country. And they should have no veteran rights. They should not have the medicine that's promised the veteran. They should have nothing that has been promised the veterans. And I'll stand up to anybody on that. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you said that people were afraid that uh, Donald Trump would start World War III, but I, I just got to think that uh, Joe Biden is doing his best to start World War III just through uh, the sheer uh, weakness that's on display throughout the world you know they you know when these three soldiers died in Jordan from an Iraqi or an Iranian sponsored attack um, you know they came out and said oh there's going to be a retribution or whatever 
Well, then somebody from our Defense Department, State Department, called Iran and told them, you know, what the targets were. It gave them 24 hours to uh, to evacuate. We, you know, sent some B-1 bombers uh, over and, uh, and bombed an empty facility. And they said, and that's not the last of it. Well, so far, that is the last of it. I personally think that Iran should find out what a group of B-52s sounds like as they're fixing to obliterate Iran. Let's do a little carpet bombing and see how they like it. Well, you know, uh, I'm not a fan of carpet bombing because... Probably the greatest victims of all this are the Iranian people that want nothing to do with their tyrannical government. I think that, uh, well, I think Donald Trump is on the right track taking out Soleimani. It was surgical, and it was, um, you know, the head of the snake at the time. And uh, I think uh, we need to make that, we, we need to do that in, we need, we need to be finding targets, isolating them, and and blowing them up. And I mean, from the top of their government on down. Amen. This, uh, you know, and, and you know, let's understand something and not be naive. You know, these these terror groups in the Middle East are all proxies of Iran, but Iran's a proxy of China, and. They're doing everything at the direction of the Chinese Communist Party. So, uh, you know, we, we don't need to be naive about it. No. And we should shut off, we should go back to the sanctions and cut off Iran's money funds through oil. The sanctions are there. And if Biden hadn't done away with them, Iran, we would have Iran between a rock and a hard place. And Biden has done more, just like you said, more to get us into World War III and to destroy the United States than any... The man has done zero good. And just like the jury came out and said he's not capable of standing trial. He's certainly not capable of being president and commander-in-chief. And then our Secretary of Defense is taking off another couple of weeks to be in the hospital. At least he, he told the commander-in-chief that he was taking off. Yeah. That's very nice of him. Yeah. Let your boss know where you're going to be? Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, part of the first general order, right? Yeah. Take charge of everything within the limits of my post. Quit my post, though, only when properly relieved. Um, seems pretty simple. But I guess a guy that, you know, went to West Point, got uh, promoted 
well beyond his capabilities to four-star general and then made Secretary of Defense, uh, can't understand something as simple as uh, first general order. The Secretary of the Army, am I correct in saying that's a lady? It's a lady who's never served in uniform. I, I don't, you know, I go with uh, Supreme Court Justice Katanji Jackson Brown, but uh, I don't know what a woman is, so I can't really answer your question. <laughs> well, an example of how inadequate this whole administration is. They have, they've never been there, never done that, and have no clue about it. And, uh, the sooner we can get rid of them and get responsible adults back in the White House and in our administration, the better off we'll be. And I hope everybody will look at the facts this time, not look at whether I like him or I don't like the way he combs his hair or whatever. Look at the facts of who has done the most and who has done the worst job ever of any president in our lifetime or in the history of the United States. We should all be ashamed. With that being said, we're going to have to uh, start inching towards getting out of here, Phil. Thank you again right, for Dave. everything that you do. You're quite welcome. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. And uh, we'll be back next week. And uh, hopefully it would be nice to be able to say something nice for a change, you know. And hopefully we That'd can next week. Yeah, let's do it. Thank you, sir. All right, David. Thank you. Bye-bye. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.